0: listening to the life edit project podcast where busy ambitious high achievers get the tools they need to fight overwhelm and overthinking with balance self-mastery and a positive mindset i'm your host elizabeth burrows i'm serving up bite-sized truth bombs in a judgment-free zone based on my perspective as a life coach wife mom and recovering overachiever We keep it real over here, which usually means some combination of insightful, entertaining, and a hot mess express. So if you're looking for perfection, look elsewhere. But if you're still with me, let's dig into this week's episode. Good day, good people. Welcome back to the Life Edit Project Podcast. As always, we've got a juicy conversation lined up for you today, but before we get into that, I want to do a little housekeeping. So, last week I had my husband on as a special guest, and he was actually the very first guest I've had on the show. So, it was pretty special. And I didn't really know how it was going to go because he's not a podcaster and I hadn't done a podcast interview here. But of course, I was hoping that it would go well, and it did. So, not only did I have a good time chatting with him, But several of you listeners have reached out to me with some positive feedback, which I always appreciate. And I'm hearing that y'all appreciated just the candidness of our conversation and that you enjoyed hearing my husband's perspective compared to the perspective that y'all get from me all the time because you hear me talk on every episode. One listener even said that she listened to that episode, episode 11, with her husband, which I found to be incredibly sweet. And now I want to know if that episode, episode 11, sparked any juicy conversations for you all with your respective spouses or homies or, you know, social media connections. So did that episode leave you with any insights into marriage or long-term relationships? Let me know. Drop me a line on social media because I want to hear from you. As always, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LifeEditProject, all one word. And yeah, I know Twitter isn't Twitter anymore. It's called X, but I ain't calling it X, y'all, because that's just lame. Um, I'm also on Threads now. So if you don't know, Threads is the new social media app that is owned by Meta and connected to Instagram, and it's set up to kind of act the way Twitter acted back in the early days of Twitter. And because I love words, and I love writing, I loved Twitter, I was an early adopter of Twitter. And so I'm on threads now, y'all. So if you want to connect with me there, feel free at LifeEditProject over there too. So okay, in addition to the responses from last episode, I also want to take a moment to celebrate that I've reached another podcast milestone. Y'all, we have surpassed 300 downloads to date and that is huge. I mean, Actually, as I record this, we're at closer to 350 downloads, which is even more fun. But I, I had to tell y'all because I'm so grateful to each one of you who has listened to the podcast so far, shared it with someone that you know, or even on your social media pages. And y'all, if you are sharing this on social media, please be sure to tag me in your post. That way I can see it. I can say thank you. And I can even reshare what you all are saying with my audience. And as always, I'm super thankful to all of my listener bays who leave five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, So the ratings are always appreciated. Five-star ratings are always, you know, welcome, but it's really the reviews that help our show get in front of new listeners. So now that we've crossed the 300 download mark, I want to see how quickly we can get to 500 downloads. And to do that, I'll need your help. So help a sister out and leave this podcast a review on Apple Podcasts or even Spotify because both of those work really well. And if you haven't done so already, when you do that, share your favorite episode on social, send it to your homies, drop it in the group chat with your sisters, send it to your mom and them, all of that, right? (laughs) Okay, so that's the housekeeping for today. But now it's time to get into today's topic, which is self-care. So before I kind of jump in, I want to let you know that today's episode, this conversation, is a prelude to what will become a four-part mini-series that I'm calling Self-Care Essentials, because self-care is that important, and I think the conversation warrants that much space so that we can have a really nuanced discussion. So, today we're going to talk about what you've been doing wrong when it comes to self care, because there's a whole lot of mistakes we can make when it comes to self care. But I'm going to ease on into this thing by just grounding the conversation in what I even mean when I say self care. And of course, that means it's time for another Coach Elizabeth definition. So, if you're new around here, or in case you need a refresher, I like to specifically define a lot of the words and concepts that I use on this podcast because I want to be clear and because that clarity helps you get more out of every episode. I also like to give my own definitions because there can be a lot of ambiguity around some of these words and phrases that I use even if you use them all the time, even if they seem very familiar because they're floating around and they're, you know, popular buzzwords. And um, I want to make sure we're all on the same page when I am referencing these concepts. And if I'm being totally honest, I create my own definitions sometimes because a lot of the definitions that are found in dictionaries or, you know, in the blogosphere just aren't very helpful. And so some of these definitions I'm giving are my attempt at improving on what's already out there. So what is self-care and what am I referring to when I say self-care on this podcast and throughout the rest of this mini series? Here is the Coach Elizabeth definition. Write this down if you're taking notes. Self-care is any action or activity that you do or facilitate for yourself in service of your future well-being. I'm going to say it again because it's important. Self-care is any action or activity that you do or that you facilitate for yourself in service of your future well-being. So we're going to use this definition going forward. And now that we're all on the same page, let's talk about all of the ways that we get self-care wrong. Mm. mistakes that I've seen people make when it comes to self-care. And when I say I've seen people make these mistakes, I mean I've made these mistakes, I've seen my coaching clients make these mistakes, and I see evidence of people making these mistakes online when folks talk about self-care on blogs or in online communities and on social media. And so I'm going to give you these three, but we're going to take them one by one and I'll give you some tips along the way on how not to do self-care like this. So one thing I want you to notice about the definition that I gave you a few moments ago for self-care is how incredibly simple and broad it is. Self-care is expansive. It's not restrictive. And it has to be because it's also highly personal. And because we're humans and our needs change and vary from day to day and season to season and situation to situation, it makes sense that our concept of self-care would also be dynamic so that it can respond to the changes in our needs. And that leads us right into the first thing that you're probably getting wrong about self-care. And that is, your focus is too narrow. Self-care is really layered because our needs are really layered. And there are actually eight dimensions of wellness. And an effective and complete self-care regimen should address all of them. So here are the eight dimensions of wellness. There's physical wellness, environmental, emotional, social, occupational, spiritual, and financial. So physical wellness refers to the health and fitness of your body. Environmental wellness refers to using physical spaces to enhance your well-being. Emotional wellness is about acknowledging, expressing, and processing your emotions. Social wellness is about connecting with others through supportive relationships, so not just any kind of connection. Occupational wellness is about finding fulfillment through work. Spiritual wellness is about connecting to the purpose and meaning of your life. And finally, financial wellness is about having a healthy relationship with your finances. So some of these dimensions of wellness will seem really obvious to you, right? So as, you, as I listed some of those out, you might have been like, yeah, duh, of course, that's what wellness includes. And when you think of those ones that seem really obvious, you'll be really clear on how that dimension of wellness impacts you. And maybe you've even figured out some strategies that work for you and to address that dimension of wellness that you can do easily and consistently and that help you feel good. And those are probably the ones that you tend to focus on. But there are other things that you know you should be doing and paying more attention to, but you don't, right? It's the classic case of knowing better but not doing better. And then maybe there's one or two of these dimensions of wellness that you've never even thought about until I just mentioned it. And now you're realizing that you've been completely neglecting your needs in a particular area. But Another way that we can also be too narrow with our self-care is that we end up being too static in our approach to caring for ourselves. So earlier, I mentioned that as humans, our needs change and evolve over time. And if that's true, we should also evolve the way we care for ourselves so that our self-care matches and keeps pace with our needs. Unfortunately, that takes effort and it takes awareness and it's very easy to believe that we don't have time or energy to figure out new ways and new techniques of self-care. So we just stick with whatever self-care routine we've been doing and we stick to the same types of self-care activities over and over again. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that self-care routines are bad. In fact, I think self-care routines can be very useful. I think it's very helpful to have some go-to self-care activities that you can use when you need them. Um, Starting from scratch all the time, I, I think it's whack and it's impractical, right? However... If you never stop to check in with yourself to figure out what is it that you need right now or to see how effective your existing self-care routine is, you can end up missing lots of opportunities to more fully care for and support yourself. For example, if the only way you practice caring for your physical fitness is to do 20 minutes of cardio five times a week you might push yourself to work out during a time when maybe you're under a lot of stress and your body might benefit more from just stretching and taking an extended hot shower instead of your regular cardio session, right? So referring back to the definition that I gave you for self-care... Anything can potentially be self-care, right? So self-care is not about the what per se, and it's not one specific thing or even a list of things, right? And however you're caring for yourself now, whatever you usually do for self-care, there are other options that could be equally or even more effective. And there are always other options available to you. So stop restricting yourself on how you allow yourself to care for yourself. So being too narrow is the first mistake that a lot of us are making with self-care. But the second thing that you might be getting wrong with self-care is that you don't make yourself care about you. One of the ways we tend to take the focus off of ourselves in self-care is by trying to do self-care the way someone else does it. And we do this because usually we're trying to be efficient. And I'm looking at you, my busy overachiever, who's always trying to shave a few minutes off of everything that's on your calendar, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I love a good template, right? Looking at an example of what someone else has done, And using it as a starting point. I love a good template. But the first rule of using a template is to customize it so that it works for you. Self-care is not an exception. Self-care is never a one-size-fits-all type of situation. So you can't just copy and paste someone else's self-care routine into your life and expect stellar results. Your own needs have to take center stage when you're creating a self-care plan for yourself. You need to consider what it is that you respond to, what gets on your nerves, what area of your life feels like it needs the most support. If, let's say, you have IBS, or irritable bowel syndrome, but you were raised in a comfortable middle-class home where you never lacked for anything, your self-care plan is going to be very different than someone who has unhealed trauma around childhood poverty, but no digestive issues right? Because your needs are different. If it's going to work for you, your self-care regimen has to be personal, point blank, period. Another way I see people not making their self-care about themselves is by only thinking about self-care as a strategy that allows them to be of greater value to others around them. And this is really a message and an idea that I see floating around in a lot of women-centered spaces. And this message is often perpetuated by and directed at women. So one of the most common expressions of this idea that I hear a lot is that phrase, you can't pour from an empty cup. And we've all heard that saying, ad nauseum. It's on all the pretty graphics and, you know, the little printouts and all that. But I don't like to use it because it's so easy to weaponize that sentiment against ourselves. It's too easy to reduce your value to being a vessel or a cup that exists just for the utility of pouring into other people and not to see yourself as a vessel that simply deserves to be filled. I've heard so many people talk about self-care as the thing you do so that you can be a better mom or a better wife or a better employee or a better servant of society. And yeah, it's true that caring for yourself increases your capacity for being effective in any position you hold, but you don't need to justify caring for yourself based on how much it will end up benefiting others around you. If nobody else has ever told you, let me tell you here unequivocally, you have the right to care for yourself however and whenever you have a need simply because you deserve to be well. And your well-being adds value to the world even if it doesn't add more service. You don't have to wring yourself dry and empty yourself out into the world. You can just be well. Hey there. I hope you're enjoying this conversation about self-care and that you're taking away some practical tips on how you can improve your own self-care regimen. But real talk, sometimes the best way to help yourself is to get support from someone else. And the best, most effective way I can support you is through a private one-on-one coaching relationship. When you hire me as your life coach, we'll have time to uncover, unpack, and explore your needs and challenges, whatever they might be. To get started, use the link in the show notes to book a free sales call with me. And let's talk about how my one-on-one coaching services can help you supercharge your self-care, unbusy your life and create balance in any area of life and within yourself i can't wait to work with you okay back to the show the third thing you're probably getting wrong when it comes to self-care is that you're deferring your self-care too much and too often One common reason I see people deferring their self-care and putting it off is because they want to wait until they feel like it. And of course, that's unfortunate because not all self-care feels good in the moment. In fact, a lot of the things that I do as self-care for myself, it feels like a chore, right? Like, I mean, it's not terrible. It's not a punishment, but it's not fun either, And there's always something else that I'd rather be doing instead, or at least just a little bit more, right? So that's one reason why we tend to defer self-care. But a lot of people also defer their self-care because they're waiting until it's convenient for other people. And this is something else that's especially common for women and moms because we've been socialized as caregivers. So before they're old enough to talk, girls, young babies are handed baby dolls so that they can practice taking care of someone else. And these messages end up getting reinforced as girls grow up and they get older and they're encouraged to go into occupations and industries that revolve around caring for others, often at their own expense. So if we're going to counteract that, as women, we often have to practice caring for ourselves, despite the expectation that caring for other people is what we've been taught should be our primary focus. And I also just want to be clear, I don't think that caring for yourself has to be in opposition to caring for other people that fall, you know, under your responsibility. Right? I don't believe that as a mom, self-care conflicts with my role as a mother, but it is very easy to feel like I have to finish and complete all of my caregiving responsibilities before I earn the right to care for myself. And that is the idea that we have to combat. Our self-care is as important as the care that we provide to others, Period. (laughs) So we put our self care off. we, We put off our self care when we don't feel like doing it. And we put off our self care because we think we should be busy caring for other people. And all of that deferring of our self care means we're just not taking very good care of ourselves for long periods of time. So many of us are running in what I'll call a self-care deficit. We have some type of need, or often multiple needs, that is going chronically unmet. And when this happens, our self-care becomes reactive instead of proactive, and the only thing that we react to is a crisis right the only time we decide that it's time to care for ourselves is when we are in some type of crisis and the sky is getting ready to fall um let let, let me give you an example let's let's talk about dental care as an example so if you were proactive about your dental care, you'd schedule regular teeth cleanings and annual exams with the x-rays and all that stuff. And during these appointments, you might ask your dentist to weigh in on any changes that you are noticing with your mouth and your teeth and your gums, like a tender spot that you notice when you brushed, or um, you might ask whether or not it's a good idea to get a whitening treatment and which type of treatment would be the best for you. Because between appointments, you're also paying attention to your teeth and your oral hygiene and you're caring for yourself at home with daily brushing and flossing and the mouthwash and all that, right? But if you're in a habit of waiting until you're in crisis to care for your mouth, then you might have, you know, a decent daily routine, right? You still brush and floss because it's easy and it doesn't take a lot of time, but you never book a dentist appointment until you've got a terrible toothache, And you're not going to book that appointment as soon as you get a toothache. Oh, no, no. You're going to suffer through it for four or five days to see if it'll go away on its own, to see if it's really a problem you should devote some time to solving. You're going to pop some over-the-counter painkillers, and you're going to just try to tough it out for a bit. And finally, after a week, if it's not any better, you'll book an appointment. Right? You'll go, you'll get the toothache treated, and then you go right back to acting like the dentist doesn't exist again until you end up with another painful cavity or a cracked tooth or something. Right, <laughs> And that's what deferring our self-care can cause long-term when we wait to care for ourselves until we're in crisis mode. And listen, I'm not going to sit up here and act like I'm not guilty of this too right? Because I absolutely can be. But I'm proud to say that I don't get into crisis mode nearly as often as I used to. And that's the point. And I want you to hear me when I say this. The point of self-care, the work of learning how to treat ourselves with love and compassion and of consistently giving ourselves the care and attention we need. The point of all of that is not to be able to eliminate and avoid crisis in our lives because life is going to life regardless of what we do. The point of all of this self-care is to be able to weather crises when they show up without abandoning ourselves. The point is to get so good at treating yourself with love and compassion on a daily basis that it becomes your default relationship with yourself. So that no matter what, you will always feel loved because you know that you will always love yourself. And if that is not how you've been approaching self care, if you have not been making your self care about loving yourself, you have been doing it wrong. That, that's really it for today, y'all. Um, listen, don't be stingy. Somebody you're connected to needs to hear this episode. They need to hear this conversation. So do them a favor and share this podcast. Put the link to this episode in that group chat with your besties. Take a screenshot of, you know, your phone as you're listening and post it in your stories, right? Sharing is caring. Hook everybody up. Um, and so I, I have so much more to say about self-care which is why we're going to have this four-part mini-series that I'm calling Self-Care Essentials. And I'm doing this because I want you all to know that self-care doesn't have to be complicated. Yes, learning how to regularly provide high-quality care for yourself can be complex, and it can be layered, and it can be demanding, but it doesn't have to be complicated. So over the next few episodes, I'm going to highlight a few different elements of self-care that we often neglect or misunderstand. I'm going to break each one of them down so that we can get really clear on why and how to incorporate them into our lives as part of our overall self-care regimen or strategy. And you don't want to miss any of these episodes, so please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you don't have to remember to go look up the new episodes. And while you're subscribing, yes, I'm going to say it again, go ahead and give your girl a five-star rating and review to help other people find this show as well. All the reviews really help. If you need instructions on how to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, you can find those at my website, lifeeditproject.com slash podcast. And of course, the link to that is going to be in the show notes. So yeah, I'll be back in your ears next week with self-care essentials part one. And I'm not going to tell you which element we're, we're tackling first because I want it to be a surprise. But trust me, it's going to be juicy. All right. So in the meantime, go take exquisite care of yourself. All right. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Life Edit Project podcast. I'd love to hear what your favorite moment or key takeaway was from this conversation. You can send me a message on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to let me know. My handle is at life edit Project, all one word, in all the places. My social media is linked up in the show notes to make it easy for you. Holla at your girl. I'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, don't just stay busy with the life you have. Get busy creating the life you want.